If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to take a moment and do a quick recap of last Sunday. So we're going to fit two sermons into one this morning. We're going to redo last Sunday, and then we're going to do today. So, I'm serious. Exodus 20, Exodus chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." Last Sunday, I just wanted to recap our non-negotiable from last Sunday. Last Sunday, our non-negotiable was that God alone should receive our trust, our allegiance, and our adoration. This basically is the command throughout all of Scripture. It starts with the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. God saying, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. And then Jesus is asked multiple times, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus always says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And it's the theme throughout Scripture that God alone should receive our trust, our allegiance, and our adoration. So last Sunday, we looked at that which is the greatest threat to the life we were created to live. We were created to live a life of trust, allegiance, and adoration to God alone. So the greatest threat to the good life is idolatry. And last week, we looked at the issue of idolatry. Idolatry is basically taking someone or something and putting it in the place of God. Not just putting it before God, but putting it in the place of God, expecting to receive benefits from those things or those people that we can only receive from God himself. Basically, idolatry is misplaced worship. Idolatry is misplaced worship. When we're committing idolatry, we don't stop worshiping. We're just worshiping someone else or something else. We're giving someone or something else honor or worth that it does not deserve. So this morning and next week, now we're turning our attention to the more positive side. Last week we looked at the negative side of the the non-negotiable. Okay, don't commit idolatry. Now we're going to look at the positive side of of what it now should result as if this non-negotiable is true, that God alone should receive our trust, our allegiance, and adoration. What should now happen? I ask you now to open up your Bibles for John chapter 4. John chapter 4. In the New Testament, John chapter 4, this is where we receive the most direct teaching from Jesus on the issue of worship. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, I'll begin reading in the sixth verse. John chapter 4, beginning with the sixth verse. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is, you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people out to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. And we ask this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word. Give us understanding. Give us a vision of the life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever gone through the motions on something? Simply just showed up and went through the motions because you knew it extremely well. Either you just did not want to go to work that day, but you've been to work multiple times, and you know you can just show up and go through the motions. All of us at some point in our life have just gone through the motions at doing something. There was no desire there, there was no want there, there was no energy there, there was just a beginning and an end, and you know that there was a need to go through the motions. The greatest danger facing you and I today is that you and I would simply go through the motions. Jesus' biggest complaint against the religious leaders was hypocrisy. He constantly went after the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, calling them hypocrites. Why? Because they were going through the motions. If you would have looked at these religious leaders, these Pharisees, you would have looked at their lives and said, wow, they're at the temple regularly. Not only are they at the temple regularly, but they're also bringing offerings not only that, but they seem to be obeying some of these ceremonial commands. They're participating in all of these feasts every year. Yet Jesus had his harshest words for this group of people. He called them hypocrites on multiple occasions. Why? If you have your Bible with me, turn to Matthew, with you, turn to Matthew chapter 15, please. Matthew chapter 15, we get a very good picture of what got Jesus angry and upset why he was going after these religious leaders. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus is having another interaction with the religious leaders and there's no friendly words to be had. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. In the midst of his speech to them, he says to them, You hypocrites! Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What's the problem 
the problem is this. The people are showing up, yet the people that are showing up are still far from God. The people that are showing up for worship on a regular basis are the very people who are far from God. In other words, hypocrisy. Why is it hypocrisy? It's hypocrisy because their lives are not consistent. At one moment, they're praising God, and the next moment, they're not praising God through their obedience to His commands, but rather ignoring God. The very people who society would say, wow, they have it together, are the very people that God says, you hypocrites. People who gather regularly, yet people who are far from God. In other words, as Jesus says, their worship was in vain. Their gathering every week meant nothing because they were still far from God. That's scary words. That should put some fear in us. That should cause us to tremble a little bit because I guarantee you, nobody in this room is anywhere near matching up to the Pharisees. No one, myself included. No one. I don't even have half the Scripture memorized that they had memorized. I don't have half the commitment that they had. No one in this room even measures up close to a Pharisee. And Jesus is saying to these very people, you hypocrites. Why? Because their worship consisted of a once-a-week gathering rather than a way of life. The people's worship consisted of a once-a-week gathering rather than a way of life. This morning, we're looking at this issue of worship of bringing adoration to God. And our non-negotiable for this week and next week is that corporate worship should be an outflow of a way of life. Corporate worship should be an outflow of a way of life. This morning we're going to look at a way of life. Next week we're going to look at corporate worship. About a year and a half ago, the King of Glory leadership was having their first ever retreat. And I told the leadership at that time, the executive committee, the trustees, and the I said to them at that time, we have two major questions facing us as a congregation. First question is, how will we grow? At some point, we as a congregation have to figure out how are we going to reach other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we might as well close and go join another group so our resources can be better utilized. That only makes sense. That's only the smart thing to do. So the first question is, how will we grow? The second question that I said that our congregation faces is, how will we gather? How will we gather? And what I meant by that is, how will we worship on Sunday mornings? Why? Because how we gather on Sunday mornings is our identity. Worship, whether we like it or not, is the most visible part of any church. Worship is not the church. Worship is an element of the church. But it's the most visible part of a church, a worship service on Sunday morning, Saturday night, whenever you have it. And a worship service is also the most important aspect of a church because it's the one time that you're bringing people together, the whole congregation, to give praise to God, to unite together under God's teaching. And so how we gather together also directly affects how we will grow because where do people most of the time first get introduced to a church? A worship service. And so how we gather directly affects how we will grow. If I lose any sleep, it's over these two questions. How will we grow and how will we gather? This how will we gather has just been gnawing at my mind and my heart forever. Why? Because I know it's gnawing at many of your 
hearts and minds. This issue of what should Sunday morning look like for us? And I've been debating in my own mind, okay, how should we go about this? Should, we just lay, should I just lay it all out there and say, hey, here's what we should do on Sunday morning. This is what we should do. I've been thinking about that, trying to determine if that's the right thing to do. That's coming next Sunday. But there's a bigger issue. There's a much bigger issue. The issue is not what songs we sing. The issue is not what instruments we use. The issue is not what's in a service, what's not in a service. What's in a service, what's not in a service. The issue is, where is everyone's heart at when they enter into worship on Sunday morning? That if all of us came to the same page, if all of us were on the same page, that worship is a way of life, that at the end of the day the question, how will we gather, wouldn't really matter that much. It would be an organizational, strategic decision. We would make that decision based upon strategy. What's the best way to reach our society right now? And also, what gifts do we have in our congregation? If all of us are on the exact same page, that worship is a way of life, the decision we make about how we worship on Sunday morning would be completely strategy. Yet, we all know that's not the way it is. If we're going to fight about something, this is usually what churches fight about. And so how can we avoid fighting about it? The first step is this, understanding what worship is. Turn with me to John chapter 4 so we can get a clear understanding of what worship is. John chapter 4. We look here, the woman is interacting with Jesus. This woman is not a Jew. This woman is actually someone who would be described as, as has animosity towards Jews. She even says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, why are we interacting? And so there's this recognized animosity, and so obviously there's going to be some misgivings from her about the issue of worship. Yet she proclaims some truths about how people perceive worship and also how worship was perceived in the past. So for example, the woman says to her, well, hold on a second, look with me at verse uh, 19. The woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So the woman's concept of worship is what? It's tied to location. It's tied to location. For her people to worship, they gathered in a specific spot on the mountain where their heritage was from. And she also understood that the Jews had a central location where they worshipped, Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the temple was located. So, so for history, up to the point of Jesus, worship was centered around the temple of God. Why? Because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was located. That's what we heard read in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. In other words, that's where the presence of God was, was to be encountered, was in the temple. So everything focused around the temple. So worship was all about a location, being at the temple. And But then Jesus just changes everything. Jesus says to the woman, hold on here. You're not going to worship on that mountain. Now catch the next phrase. This is important. He doesn't just say, yeah, you don't worship on that mountain. But he says, you're not going to worship on that mountain, nor in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, it has nothing to do with location. Worship has nothing to do with location. We could worship in a tent tomorrow night and we'd be just fine. Worship has nothing to do with a location. So what is worship then? Jesus spells it out for us and he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such people to worship Him. So worship, from Jesus' perspective, is this. 
is to bring something to God in spirit and in truth. Well, spirit, what does that mean? Spirit, if you look back with me in John chapter 3 for a second, to really understand what Jesus is saying here, we've got to understand this concept of spirit. So John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders about being born again. And he says to Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So when Jesus says here, you must worship in Spirit and truth, what he's really saying here is, you must worship with your whole being with who you are as a person. Why? Because you've been born again. Your spirit has been touched by the Holy Spirit. You've been regenerated, which now brings new life. Spirit is not this separate entity, but spirit is who you are. You yourself are a spiritual life. You're a spiritual being because you've been born again. And so when Jesus says you must worship in spirit, he's saying your whole being must bring honor to God. And then he says, you must worship in truth. Well, what does that mean? We must look at the context there in John chapter 4 to understand that. Jesus is pointing to the woman. Remember what he said to the woman? You do not worship, you worship what you don't know. And then he goes, but we worship truth. So really, in other words, what Jesus is saying, you must worship the true God who's been revealed through the Messiah. That's what he finishes by saying, I am he. And that's why... Location doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because now all of the worship is centered around Jesus, who's God's presence fully on earth. And so now worship is centered around Jesus rather than this specific physical location. So we are to worship in spirit, which means our whole being, to bring honor to what? To Jesus. Because Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says that in John chapter 14. So to, to, to worship is basically to have your whole inner being, your whole body, your whole life bring honor to Jesus because Jesus is the truth that's been revealed from Scripture and from all of history. And so worship is not an outward act, but rather worship is our whole being bringing honor to God Himself, Jesus. This is worship. And so therefore, when we understand worship as something we do with our whole life, our whole body, our whole being, it changes our concept of worship on Sunday mornings. Because now the concept is not that I come on Sunday mornings and now is my time to worship, but I come on Sunday mornings and I do that which I've been doing all week. Now we're seeking to do it in a public way of song and word, but during the whole week with my whole being, I'm seeking to bring honor to Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. God's word says to us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or another word used there for worship is service. It's it's this act that you're doing unto God. Throughout the scripture, there's two words used for worship. One word is service, an action performed to God. The other word used for worship is to, to, to lay flat, to prostrate oneself before God. And so you've got two words that are used 
and often translated as worship. One is to lay flat, to give honor. The other word is to do this act, service. And so worship is, is bringing honor to God, laying flat before God, but at the same time, worship is doing service to God, offering my whole being for the work of God. So worship is, is not just a gathering, but worship is a way of life because we are spiritual beings who are now to bring honor to Jesus in all of life. Therefore, corporate worship, what we do here on Sunday morning, should be an outflow of a way of life that you and I are living throughout the week bringing honor to Jesus. And now we're gathering together publicly and corporately to give honor to Jesus through song, word, and prayer. If, it doesn't, if our corporate gathering does not flow from a way of life, we have what Jesus attacked early on. We have hypocrisy. We have inconsistency. And this, just, this should boggle our minds a little bit. Because if we think that worship is just showing up on Sunday morning, think of the low view that we have of God. That God does not see and recognize the inconsistency in our life. To think that, think that we have such a small God who is pleased with Sunday morning, hour of singing and reading, yet a week of ignoring. That's a really small view of God. It's not a biblical view of God, a God who knows everything. A God who's constantly aware and active in this world. Worship is to have our whole inner being, our whole body, bringing honor to God. In other words, worship is giving worth. Think of it this way. Worship is giving worth to someone or something. All of us are doing this all the time. We're assigning worth to certain persons and to certain things. The question is this, are we assigning worth to God? And what worth are we assigning to God? What honor are we giving to God? How many of you this morning have I said to you, hey, oh, geez, I've got a, a 1993 Chevy Celebrity alternator and it seems to be going bad and it's got some other issues and the mechanic says it's going to cost about $11,000 to get the thing running back to complete perfection. How many of you would say, hey, that's a good deal. You should spend that $11,000 on that 1993 Chevy Celebrity. No, hopefully no one. And if you know a mechanic that says that's a good deal, find another mechanic. Why is that not a good deal? Because you're ascribing worth $11,000 to what? Something that's not worth $11,000. And this is the way the majority of us live our lives. This is another way of looking at idolatry. What we do is we ascribe so much worth to something that's not worth that much. What we do is we give our time and we give our finances to something that doesn't deserve that much time and that much finance. We're ascribing worth to something that doesn't deserve worth. Worship is ascribing worth to someone or something. So if you want to know, if you want to know where you're at in your worship life, ask yourself the question, how much worth am I ascribing, am I giving to God? How much value is my life showing God is worth? So for example, my first car ever was a 1987 Chevy Celebrity. The kind of the hand-me-down came through the family. Driving the 87 Chevy Celebrity is a nice car thing, but it was kind of coming to the end of its life and I had saved up some money for my summer jobs, so it was time to buy a new car. Well, the guy down the road, this farmer said he would buy the Chevy Celebrity for $300. Like, hey, 300 bucks, take it, thing, run with it, thing. So I got the $300, thing. Now, 
What do you think he did with this 1987 Chevy Celebrity? Do you think he bought it for his daughter to go to prom in? No. He bought the 1987 Chevy Celebrity to do what? To haul round bales. Round, you know, those big hay bales that you drive by out in the country? And so what he would do, on the roof of this 87 Chevy Celebrity, he had two farm sites. And every morning when he's driving over to do chores, what did he do? He put a round bale on top of the roof of the 87 Chevy Celebrity. You know what that shows? That shows how much he values that car. Because how many of you today, if we had a bunch of round bales and I said, hey, could you haul this quickly out to the Tornberg farm for us? How many of you would pull over your car and say, yeah, throw her on top? Probably not very many, would you? Because you ascribe more worth to your car than simply hauling hay. You see, what happens in our lives is this. We're ascribing worth to things. And how much value we see in something or someone determines how much worth we ascribe to that. So for example, some people like to what? Remodel cars. Some of us would look at some cars that get remodeled and we'd say, you're doing what to what? You're spending every night and how much money doing that to what? And we'd be, why are they doing that? Because when they see that old car, what do they see? They see worth and value. So what do they do? They ascribe worth and value to it. The same is true for you and I in our life. That how much worth and value we see in God, we now ascribe back to God that worth and that value. So actually, our worship problem comes back to what? A vision problem of who God is. Of the greatness and the mightiness of God. If we had a true vision of who God, who Jesus was, if we saw the magnificent worth of God, we would have no problem ascribing to Him the worth, the honor that's due His name. Want to fix your worship problem, your honor problem? Open up the Scriptures and see the greatness of God and then ascribe to God back that greatness that you've seen. Our worship issue at our church is not an issue of organ or drums, not an issue of liturgy or no liturgy. Our issue is is our worship flowing from a way of life? Now, now let me explain something very clearly. After next Sunday, there are going to be people who completely disagree with what I say and the vision that I present, present for corporate worship. That does not put them in the wrong at all. They could still have a way of life that honors God, but you could still disagree with the presentation, the, the vision that we have for corporate worship here. Why? Because you simply have a different preference you have a different way of expressing yourself. You have a different way of wanting to hear and a different way of singing. That's fine. That's fabulous. Look across our city today. There's multiple different ways of engaging, of worshiping God. What we have to do is we have to pick a way that fits our culture, our gifts, and best allows us to reach out to our community. And it's not going to fit everyone. It's just reality. But there is something in this city that fits everyone, that allows us to go on Sunday morning and express to God that which our way of life has been expressing all week long. But we first must get on the same page, that worship is first and foremost a way of life where our whole inner being, our whole life, expresses honor and worth to God himself. And so to prepare for a discussion, a, a message, a vision of what our corporate worship should look like, I've got a couple of practical application questions for you to think about this next week. 
This, this week's PAT is three questions. Our first question this week is this. Who or what am I honoring? Who or what am I honoring? In other words, what are you bowing down to? What are you saying, oh, you're awesome, you're great, this thing is amazing? What are you honoring? The second question is this, very similar to the first, just a different way of looking at it, who or what am I ascribing more worth to than it's actually worth? Who or what am I ascribing more worth to than it's actually worth? So examining your life, this is another way of getting to at the heart of what is our idol, what, what's in the place of God is, is to discern what am I giving worth to that actually doesn't deserve really any worth at all or any value ascribed to it because it doesn't have much value. And then the third question is this, and this, is, this, is not, this question is not meant at all as a guilt question to say, oh, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. I'm trying to be helpful in helping all of us examine our own hearts. This third question is this, do I want to gather for worship? When you're driving here on Sunday morning, do you want to be here? Do you want to get here and do you want to say, God, I praise you. God, I love you. I want to hear your word this morning, God. God, I want to be in prayer with you this morning. Is it a desire to say, I want to sing? It's it's a desire of my heart. You know what I'm talking about. You know the difference between a desire to do something and simply going through the motions. This morning, I'm not here to bang on you and say, hey, you should want to be here. No, the question is, do you want to be here? And if you don't want to be here, there's really two issues. It's either, the first issue is this. It's either, A, you're not living a life of worship. Your life is not honoring God, which would make a lot of sense why you don't want to come on Sunday morning and honor God. But yet you come because it gives you a sense of security. The second reason is a very legitimate reason. You may not want to come because you simply don't enjoy the way we worship. That's just fine. That is just fine. And so I would encourage you to do this. Find an opportunity where you enjoy to worship. We should want to gather together and give praise to God and to receive His Word and to go to God in prayer. Because worship flows from a way of life. These questions are meant to be helpful to serve us as a group, to help us examine our own hearts so that we're coming from the same place of a healthy heart as individuals so then we can have one large healthy heart as an organization, as a community of believers. Everybody in this room woke up this morning worshiping something, myself included. I woke up this morning ascribing worth and honor to someone or something. The question is this, am I worshiping God? Am I giving worth and honor to the creator of the universe? In other words, am I trusting God Am I giving God my allegiance? Am I giving God all my adoration? That's the good life. Because that's what we've been created to do. To worship God. It's a way of life. Join with me this next week. Not leaving worship this morning, but going forward to continue in worship for the next seven days until we meet again. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you and this is a tough discussion, God. This is a tough, tough issue to talk about because all of us come from different experiences, God. And God, I ask this morning for patience amongst us as a group. I also ask, Lord, for wisdom amongst us as a group on how to best organize ourselves to declare your greatness. God, give us wisdom. And I pray this morning for each individual that's gathered here. 
I pray you give each individual wisdom and discernment, O Lord. This morning, Lord, above all, though, God, I pray that you'd burden all of our hearts with a desire to honor you. God, would you break in and reveal areas in our life that are not honoring to you? God, would you reveal to our hearts and our minds? God, give us wisdom. And this morning, O Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would send us forth as worshipers, worshipers of you alone. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.